Hello, you're listening to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musset. My name is Scott Powell. And you're in for it. But wild adventure for the second Sunday of Lent. Yep, dude. I don't know why I said you that. Know, um, you know what I've been doing a lot recently? Sacrificing your firstborn son? Sharpening things, actually. <laughs> oh, it did. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, applicable. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've realized how obsessed I am with the sharpness of things. You weren't you going to sharpen your toenail clippers at one point? You got a new sharpening tool, right? I, I got, I got, I got, I got a new sharpening tool. But then what I realized is that I have other sharpening tools as well, of which you do not know. I have this beautiful. <laughs> that was a great pull, by the way. Hey, thanks. I, uh, I have a kitchen knife tool sharpener. That, Specifically kitchen knives? Yeah, yeah. You can't use any other kind of knife on it? I mean, you can put other knives in it, but it's it's to a 15-degree blade, man. Boom. Then I got a <laughs> then I got a, a, a rotating whetstone sharpening wheel so that it's wet so that as you sharpen, you don't lose the temper on your whatever particular type of blade you're using. It, can you cut a, tile? Bathroom tiles? No. Because I had a wet saw for that. Dude, so we're into the um, second Sunday of Lent. We are just about into the second Sunday of Lent, yeah. I mean, we're preparing for the second Sunday we're of Lent. We're preparing for the second Sunday of Lent, as we speak. Yes. Um, Our and- first reading today is from Genesis 22, verses 1 to 2, 9a, 10 to 13, 15 to 18. <laughs> Did you know it? You know Very it, smooth this the week. first reading is brought to you by Ginsu. <laughs> Speaking of knives... <laughs> Hmm. This has been a knife-centric podcast so D- far. Dude, I, hey, man, just as long as you're knife to me today, then, uh, I, won't, then I won't. Cut it out. <laughs> oh, sorry, right. I didn't mean to bring such an edgy okay, sense of humor right, into this. All right, all right, That's, uh, I, I got You it. have the point. <laughs> nice. All right, our responsorial psalm. I really can't, I can't think of any others. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 116, verses 10. 15, 16 through 17, 18 through 19, and the response itself is uh, verse 9, although it's written out in long form for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anyway, verse 9. Okay, our second reading is um, Romans 8, 31b to 34. Did you just say it from memory? No. You're looking at me the whole time. You just, you dead stare. You stared me down. Okay, our gospel is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10, and that's that. Uh, Yeah, that's all we got. So, dude. Okay, so I was uh, I was hanging out this uh, this morning as I was studying. Okay, talk to me. And um and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Abraham. Okay, next uh, response for Psalm. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know. Then then we're we're looking at the thing, and I'm like, oh, son, God, hand him over. Okay, Romans got it. And I'm like, Mark, transfiguration. <laughs> okay. And I was and and like I like something in my heart got mm. revealed of my presumptiveness towards scripture. Okay. Every once in a while, it creeps into where you're mm. like, I know what's happening. Yeah. V- versus like. That's how I felt with Jonah a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Like, ah, Jonah, he got swallowed by a whale and vomited. Yeah. yeah but there's. There's this something where like, I, I actually like, I really love the exercise of doing this because mm. it makes me reconsider and re-reverent towards God's word that as if there's not something new to discover, as if all of the literature from the entirety of Christian history does not say that the infathomable riches of scripture are always present, even though mm. sometimes you don't have the heart to do it. Okay. Yeah. You know, because yeah. yeah. it takes heart to go and say like, is there something new for me here? Yeah, absolutely. Is and it... to be open to seeing it. Right. Finding the new. Yeah. Well, so what do you, what do you got? Because I got stuff. 
Um, you know, I uh, I wanted to hear the context because because okay, the good. truth is is that I was feeling a little bit blind to them because okay. of my knowledge of them, which is okay. just a which is a, a good thing. That's why I think that we uh, we why we're supposed to study scripture together. Okay, yeah, the havarim. Let's havarim it then. Havarim it. That's not the verb verbal form. I mean, because I have some connections, but I but I need to like. And I don't have many connections. I just have context. <laughs> okay. So this is great. All right. Well, here and we know this. Um, I think the most most important thing to note about this, first of all, okay, if you look at the story of Abraham, right? Yeah. What, Abraham is renowned for his faith, right? He trusted God um, when he couldn't see what the future was gonna was gonna hold, right? Right. So this is the guy who God came to, and he's like, I want you to leave your your home and your land and your father's you know, ancestral home and your kindred and everything else. And I want you to go on the road. I want you to pack the U-Haul, get on the highway, and I'll tell you where we're going when, when we get there. Once we're started, just just yeah. keep just go that way really fast. And if something gets in your way, turn. Yeah, basically. But only if I say to turn. Right. Because he turns a couple times when he shouldn't. He takes a couple exits he shouldn't have taken. Yeah, yeah dude. That's all. I'll tell you what, man. Yeah. Take Ex- my sister. Ex- what did you just say? Exodus. Did you know if you go to Greece and you're traveling on a highway, you know what the signs to get off the highway say? No. Exodus? Exodus. That's the Greek word for to exit. No, they don't. No, they totally do. So he goes to Egypt in an ill-fated trip. Anyway, lots of connections. I know, and then he pretends that his wife is his sister. So bad. Do I not. Mean, it's, it, it, this is one of those wonderful stories. I mean, it's a hard story, but it's wonderful in the sense that you can look back and be able to, in hindsight, kind of put all these pieces together. I mean, one, one of Abraham's huge downfalls is that he doesn't trust God with the son that God promised he would give him. He has an affair with his wife's maidservant, this woman, Hagar, and she ends up having a child, Ishmael, and they kick him out. And it, I mean, it's this mess, this disastrous thing. And you got to think to yourself, okay, wait a second, where did Hagar actually come from? Do you remember? Egypt? Yeah. Where shouldn't Abraham have ever gone? Egypt? Egypt. So how did he get this maidservant who was from Egypt? Oh, that's the place they shouldn't have gone in the first place. He probably shouldn't have taken a slave from there and brought her home with him. But you put it all together and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so such a tangled web of bad decisions, you know, that kind of come out. And this is this is the spiritual life, right? All of the you know, it's Jesus saying if you're faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in the bigger things. Yeah. And it's the little things that turn into the big things. And that's a big part of Abraham's life, but you know what I love about Abraham is his whole life is like uh, it's like uh, what do you call those things in the hospital? Roller coaster. No. EKG. Yes. Yeah, but they're a heart monitor, right? Yeah. The constant, uh, which is an EKG. Yeah, but the constant up and down. So he has these horrible falls, and then he's got these great heights as well. Um, and I love it because it's the story of our lives, right? These these really low lows and these really high highs. Um, and we kind of get to this point now where Abraham has been waiting. I think it's like 27, 25 years or something, this long time that God has been promising him. What did he promise? He promised that he's going to have a child. He's get, not just going to have a child, but descendants that are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And then he's going to have land, and he's going to have a great kingdom coming out of his descendancy, and he'll be a blessing to all the nations. And he's waited decades. And finally, he has the son of the promise. He has Isaac. And he's named that because it seemed like such an absurdity. They waited so long that that his wife, Sarah, actually laughs when the angel says she's going to have this child. And Isaac means he laughs or to laugh. So, you know, and then he finally has him. And so the whole story of Abraham has been, number one, God saying, will you trust me with your past, right? Will you leave your father's home? Will you leave your ancestral place, your past, and get on the road and follow me? Will you trust me with your past? Will you trust me with your present? Right now, will you keep moving forward even if you don't know what the next step is, right? Mm, And he's been more, you know, faithful to some degree on that. And now we get to the third aspect, which is will you trust me with your future, 
You've trusted me with your past. You've trusted me with your present. And now I'm going to ask for your future. You've been waiting for this child for so long. And now I'm going to ask you, are you willing to follow me, you know, as far as it goes? And so Abraham is is asked to take his son up to this mountain called Moriah, which is, Moriah was actually a mountain range. So we're not exactly sure exactly which one it was, but it's, it's probably somewhere very close to Calvary, if not Calvary itself. It's the range that surrounds Jerusalem. So that's where we're at. And um, I think the most important part of this story, there's, there's three things I think are important about this story. Number one, this is the one that gets missed, I think, most often, is the age of Isaac when Abraham takes him up on the mountain to be sacrificed. He was like seven? No. I'm right? just You're kidding. Joking. You I'm know just, this, right? I do. And we actually know his age because we know how old Sarah was when she gave birth to him. Genesis is really careful to give you the ages of Abraham and Sarah as it goes through the story, almost like in a nitpicky way. And you're like, why do you keep telling me this? But there's a good reason. So she has Isaac, I think, when she's 90. She dies when she's... <laughs> what? <laughs> Which is yeah, that's that's intense. I just think of I think of Agnes, uh, like our local ninety year old. Our local ninety year old. It's it's a little bit weird, right? You're like I, I asked huh. actually I actually went to Agnes and I was like it was a scripture like this, where Sarah had Isaac and I said I said hey Agnes, how would you feel if you could just if you were <laughs> pregnant right now? What did she say? <laughs> the ninety year old, and she just she just laughed in this like. In in this note, like this, a total absurdity, like, cause she like, cause it gave her this weird meditation and it gave everybody who's standing around a weird meditation too, because it was like, it was so absurdist. What does Isaac's name mean? Laughed. Why is he called that? Cause she did. That was the response to being told the exact, I mean, way to embody literally the story. Totally. Right? That's why you just got to do it. Yeah, that's good. So next time you meet a 90 year old, just be like, hey, have you read that Abraham story? Are you feeling okay? You look pregnant. Don't say that to anyone. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So she gives birth when she's 90, which Dude, is wild. Don't ever do that. We know that she dies at the age of 127. We also know that she dies while Abraham and Isaac are on this journey up to Mount Moriah. And some of the ancient rabbis actually said that she died of sorrow because she doesn't think that Isaac's coming back. Like she knows what Abraham has been asked to do and she she dies out of sorrow. But the point is she dies when they're on this trip, which means if she he was born when she was 90, if she dies at 127 and she dies when they were on this trip, then how old is Isaac when he's going up the mountain with Abraham? 137. <laughs> yeah. 37. He's 37. Or we don't know exactly how long the journey took, but he's in his mid-30s at, at the best, right? Right. Which... To me, for those of us who were raised on this story thinking kind of, here's Abraham hauling his little child up the mountain to be sacrificed. No, that's actually not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a a man who is a hundred and something. like He's like 137, I think, then. He's super old. He's got his strapping mid-30s son who is literally carrying the wood for his own sacrifice up the mountain that may very well be Calvary. So you have a mid-30s man carrying the wood for his own sacrifice up a mountain toward his death. (laughs) And all of a sudden you have this, which is interesting on a typological level, but it's interesting because, I mean, frankly, who has the upper hand in this story? The 137-year-old or the mid-30s man who is probably strong and, and, you know, adept. It's not so much a story about Abraham who's kind of hauling this helpless son up to be sacrificed. It's about a son who is a willing sacrifice. 
which is, I think, a fascinating meditation. I don't know what's going on in Isaac's head. I have no idea. But the, the imagery is telling, and I don't know what, how far it goes, you know, as he's lying himself down on this altar as the willing sacrifice. Now, here's the other part of the story, which there's no way getting around the weirdness of that. And if I make it to heaven someday, this is one of the things I'm going to ask God. I'm going to say, what the heck? Because why? Like, I, I get on a certain spiritual level of, okay, does he trust God with his future? All that, which is great. One thing we do know, and the book of Hebrews actually kind of gives us some insight into this much later on. Hebrews suggests that Abraham believed that God had the power to raise Isaac from the dead. That he wasn't just being asked to slaughter his son, but yeah. that God was, and you just imagine every step of the way and being like, okay, what are you going to do? I, I don't think Abraham really believed. I don't know. I don't know Abraham's heart, but I don't think he actually believed. I think he knew enough about God to know that something's going to happen. What is he going to do? What is this leading toward? Because I can't believe that he's going to actually ask me to do this thing that it seems like he is. What's happening here? Will he raise him from the dead? I, I don't know. Did Isaac believe he could be raised from the dead? I'm not sure. But there are some commentators who actually say, you know, part of the lesson here, yes, it's how much will Abraham trust God? How much will Isaac trust God? How much faith are they willing to put in their future from one step to the next? But on another level, some uh, ancient writers have said, you know, what if part of this lesson is actually God allowing another human being to feel what God himself will someday feel. Because the difference, of course, in the story is that there's no hand to stay, um, you know, the evil one when Jesus, God's only yep. begotten son, is slayed on the same mountain, presumably. Absolutely. And could it be that he's actually allowing a human being into the very heart of God to actually feel that that God himself will actually feel and do? Which is, that's a fascinating meditation, now, why does God do that? Why does he allow it to go so far? I don't, I don't know. And again, I'm, I'm hopefully going to ask him about that someday. But I think there's a lot there to kind of dig through. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, my my real fascination and the, the connections that, I, that I'm making from all of these readings is, is sonship. What, is yeah. it, what does it actually mean to be a son? And like, this is like, what kind of, I mean, Jesus makes a, a very strong proclamation. He says, um, he says, if you have to have a faith like a child, mm. that, that there is, that there is, th that we're all destined for that. Yeah. And to really actually trust your own father, huh. like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like to the point on where your father is like, Hey, God himself will provide the lamb right. while you're, while you're tied up and the oil's getting poured <laughs> and you're it's cool. You, trust me. Yeah, it's it's cool. Here, so, move your arm so I can tie it a little tighter. <laughs> yeah, it's cool though. Trust us, and and like don't just trust me, but trust God. Yeah, I trust God, and like hmm. to, to like I'll tell you, you when you uh, Isaac has, I mean, thirty seven years, you've gotten a chance to really see your father suffer. Yeah, you you've gotten to, you've gotten to see the full dynamics of how you relate to your mom how he relates to your mom like he you, you that's got to be a weird relationship after the hagar incident yeah you know what i'm I mean, saying there's some weird the, difficulties there's here. real dysfunction that's going on yet there's faith in the middle of it right and like i, I like i find recently that the things that inspire people like tremendously mm. are the, like uh the um 
you know, uh, the the Chinese guy, I think we talked about on the podcast, who had the opium addiction. Yes. Who who was uh, oh, who, to think who went name. to daily mass and um, yeah. and didn't receive communion, but then ended up, he prayed that he would be a martyr so that he could get into heaven. And, yeah. and then he was the last of his nine uh, to like be martyred. And it's like, I watch how much he inspires people yeah. in the same way where we look and we say, God does not despair of our dysfunction. God does not despair of our dysfunction. He, That's he's, a good line. He's, he is never looking for predictability. He's saying, I want you to respond to me, and I will never stop offering you this chance. And mm. and so we don't know what Isaac's deal is. I mean, we, we you know how he related to Ishmael. He's a little messed up later on in life, too. Isaac? If you read the rest of Isaac's story. Really? You're like, oh, he might have gotten pretty messed up on that mountain. In his own little ways, you know. Well, yeah, because I mean, like the, the, that amount of trust, and then seeing mm. that his father was willing to to slit his throat. Yeah, that's a little complicated, huh? It is, but the angel stayed him, and then they sacrificed the they sacrificed the ram, which yeah. is really important to remember if you're a right. CSU person. <laughs> that's I'm sorry, that no, was a no. dig. I love no, I good. love all you I love all you CSU people. It's important. It's an important insight. But like, <laughs> I always I always thought that we need we should have put that on a T-shirt for the uh, CU CSU. Just game. a verse, even just the verse. Just the verse, and, <laughs> and then he sacrificed the ram. God God himself will provide the lamb. <laughs> And oh yeah, because he was oh so the, um, <laughs> mov- moving on. But I mean, love that I love that they blow the shafar before yes. the temple sacrifice to remind God yes. that the Lamb of God has not yet been provided. I mean, mm. this is one of those things where it's like I know this scripture so well, and it is so transformative to find a new angle and to try to understand and to dig in to say like, what does it really mean to be son, and to have not just the direct relationship with God, but having the secondary relationship to say, I will trust that God is acting in another. Yes. And th- that is that is that is the most humble to yeah. me that I could possibly imagine. Is <sighs> is to say, I believe that God is acting in another. Not just that God is acting in me, but that God has a will for me in another. And as a priest, you get trained and they say the will of God is comes from your superiors. And so you have some training that you can kind of come back to on that. But to be that, to allow yourself to be that vulnerable. Right. It, to really be son. Yeah. Um, is wow. uh, is really, especially when it looks like it's going tank. Well, that's a really interesting insight that I hadn't, I hadn't really considered. Yeah. So that's. I hadn't thought about Isaac from that point of view. <laughs> but and and I think it's actually an interesting lead into the psalm because what what is oh I don't know I, I I mean what is the response to this I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living and I got to imagine that something like that the psalm wasn't written yet obviously but something like that's got to be I hope rever I like to imagine is reverberating through Abraham's mind as he's thinking of death. And he's fearing what he's going to have to do. And he's wondering how God is going to stop this. No, Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk before the Lord in the land of the living because that's who my God is. He's a God of the living. I I don't even know about the resurrection yet. That hasn't even, that's not even a blip on the radar screen, but I know who God is and I know he's a God of the living. And he seems to be calling me to something of death and there's got to be more to it. There's something more. And I just imagine him step by step. I'm going to walk before the Lord who is the Lord of the living in the land of the living. I don't know this juxtaposition. Of, which is kind of the juxtaposition of the Christian faith, right? It is. It is. In a world surrounded by death, in a world surrounded by chaos and sin and the things that tear down, we say, no, we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. 
and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is a great explanation for our culture and our society, saying, nope, but we believe in a God of the living. Even when I can't see it, even when I don't know what that looks like. Well, notice that it's the shadow of death. See? Yes, it's not death. It's not, it's the, sh- the shadow. Because all like, death is God's little shadow to freak well, us out with. Well, because the victory's won. Yes, right. And so, the, so there's a passing shadow, but it's a vapor, and it will go, You're and vapor. we remain within the land of the living. And, and we walk. Even I love the imagery of the walking. It's not just the remain. We're not just dwelling. Like we're moving forward. This is Abraham, right? Abraham never stands still. He's like Abraham. Start moving. You don't know where you're going yet. It feels like you're losing all these things. There's death around you. But walk just one step after another, which is really the same. You know. Leave your father's house and your kindred and everything that's safe and comfortable. Just start moving one step at a time forward. I will show you. Which is really the same movement of what he's doing up Mariah. Just put one step in front of the other. I'm going to show you. Right. Trust me. Right. This looks like a huge loss, but trust me. Which is really interesting because that's um, that's like it, productivity uh, <laughs> like stuff, like concepts in the business world. Especially, or say, like they say, don't worry about the whole project. Just say, what is my next step? Hmm. Like, the, the, it's, it's always this certain sense in where we <laughs> can get super overwhelmed with, like, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. You Slaughter know? my son. Check. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get yeah. some get some wood. <laughs> check. Check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gather the horses. A check. check. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bring a torch. Check. <laughs> get some rope. Check. check. Put on my boots. Check. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, no, yeah. Which, in a certain sense, that's that's. It's like, oh mm. my gosh, because it's terrifying in each one of those moments. And you say, "Will God show up? Will God show up? Will God show up?" I'm not trying to make this even darker than it already is because oh. it's already pretty rough. Ooh. But but I'll, I'll tell you what. Actually, I can't. It's a, um, the the real tragedy of the story. <laughs> And I don't know why I feel moved to just point this out because, but I think it's hard. So, I mean, you have this like, oh, God provided, like I, I knew there was more to it. Like I knew he wasn't going to ask me to do that. I don't, I don't know what his response of. Let's say we sacrifice, we'll celebrate. Isaac, can you imagine the embrace that they had with each other? And the, just the sigh of relief, of like, oh, thank you, God. And then what happens? They go back down and what do they come home to? If wife has died. Mom has died. Wife has died. Why? Out of, if the tradition is correct, out of sorrow for what she thought was going to happen. And then what does Abraham have to go do? It actually says he has to go and he has to actually have to, has to argue and fight and bargain just to buy a burial plot so we can bury his wife. And he's got to be thinking back. He's like, God promised me land that this would be mine. I can't even bargain for a plot of land to bury my wife. And it's this, I don't know. It's such a tragedy of the story and it's such a, it speaks to the to the Christian life and the human condition. Like there's these these great glory. Like yes, oh everything is fine, and then there's something waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And and I, I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves. And I don't remember if Mark even says it or not. I think Mark does. I don't know if Mark does or if it's Matthew or Luke. But so we're gonna be talking about the Transfiguration. And do you remember? I, I can't remember which account. I think it's Luke. But in one of the gospel accounts of the transfiguration, yeah, the boy this, at the bottom of the hill who, you know, they go up there in this glory. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're seeing all of this insight. And we come back down and there's a demon and a boy is possessed and a boy is possessed. super and they're angry like, we don't know and what the to apostles do. are confused. It's and chaos. Super chaotic, which is just this this 
we come down the mountain where we see God's salvation, we usually come down to chaos. Yeah. And we got to keep moving and we got to remember, okay, we're not there yet. Which is why we need Romans. We need this remembrance. Good. It says, if God is for us, who can be against yeah. us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over from us all. Will he not also give us everything else along with him? By the way, the word that Paul uses for spare, uh, episeta, episeta, the only other place I think that word is used is in the Greek version of the Genesis story for oh. God sparing Isaac. See, so Paul knows exactly what he's referencing here. Yes, it's a very specific word choice. And and what's interesting is that we get the perspective of the father, so we have a very clear, very direct relationality between mm-hmm. Abraham and the father, and and the invitation of Abraham of of the father in heaven mm-hmm. to Abraham's identification with him. Yeah. So we see, okay, he who did not spare his own son, man, that's the that's the crazy thing is, I man, I watch you and your father's heart, and I'm like, this is real stuff. Mm. This is a father's heart is 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 a profound and very intense thing. Yeah. And but then also we say, okay, here's Jesus, who is a son who puts his faith totally in the father to right. raise him up. Right. And like and and father not who your, makes himself totally vulnerable. Not my will, but your will be done. And and Jesus makes himself vulnerable not only to the father's will, but to the Romans. To the authorities, to the Jewish high priest, to the Sanhedrin, to the to Pontius Pilate, to his spiritual fathers, he gives himself. Quote unquote. In, yeah, yeah, the earthly ones. Yeah, he makes himself vulnerable, and they're no Abrahams. You know what I mean? Right. Which is just to take it, just to put a fine point on it. Hmm. Mm, anyway, there's mm, anyway. a bee in my bonnet now. <laughs> uh, so then we end up in the Transfiguration. Yeah, which is which is um. Which is interesting because I think that it's it's actually the proclamation of the sonhood of Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's the second time that God has proclaimed that, though. Absolutely. Out, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying is that is that there's there's this really clear sonship. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. the connection yeah, that yes. I'm making between everything. Is, okay. Is like yes. Is is sonship? It oh, says this is my beloved good. son. So that's good. So what does it what does it mean? Hmm. It's like it's. I look I look at the transfiguration and and when I I talk to people about pride a lot, because pride is the inordinate attachment to one's own excellence, okay. according to Thomas Aquinas. Okay, the inordinate attachment to one's own excellence. So here we see Jesus Christ, who's transfigured, who the brother is like a light bulb. He will glow. He yeah. uh, he is in perfect communion with the Father, mm. and and he is the Lord of weather. You know what I'm saying? I think so. He can calm the storms. Like there's yeah. nothing. Th- like he has full excellence. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And yet he shows us perfect humility mm. because he is not attached. He does not capitalize. He is meek and humble of heart, meaning that. That he, even in his belovedness, never just is going to call down fire on everybody, and so, so the. Do you fu- think he wanted to? I, I, like, I, did his human, did his humanity at one point, like you know what, he was stinking <laughs> pieces of. I don't know. I wonder if he would if be there tempted was the to battle. It. He would the interior battle. He because be he never tempted. sins. There's no yeah. sin. Yeah. Temptation is not sin, and right, and so so I'm Did sure. Did you ever that, just want to slug somebody? Like, oh my gosh, 
Yeah, you know he, what? I, he had the oh my sense, me! The clearest sense of justice ever. Do you know what I just said? Oh my me! Oh my god! Because he's uh, oh gone. my me! Sorry, dude. Oh my not- me! <laughs> I want to. I want to say. I want to make a song out of that one. <laughs> All right, sorry. So, so it's like I, so I look and here's Jesus and his his proclamation and his massive excellence, total communion, and belovedness from the Father going and we know descending into radical chaos. Um, it's it's this thing to where we know that even in our sonship. Now that goes for men and women. We are called to be in, incorporated into the Son. We have been yeah. brought into the mystical body of Christ. That's what we're called. Yeah. That we are. We are not alien from the Father. Mm. He believes in, uh, he loves us, and he he proclaims his belovedness to us. But it doesn't prevent him from asking us to go through really intense things. Yeah, it, well. it, it doesn't. It doesn't like which is which is always the great confusion in the spiritual life. You're like, why? Lord, me and who believe in you, who are willing to follow after you, why are you giving me the cross? And 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 that's the thing that's it's, is like so radically confusing in the spiritual life. Every single one of us have to go through it. Every, there's not a single one of us in where we're not going to actually be invited to be identified with Isaac on the and in relationship to Abraham. Well, yes. Even take it a step further, though. Oh, I'm no, like... you're right. I mean, everything is you're right, but but maybe not take it a step further, but but concretize it. We talked about you know when in the transfiguration when they come down off the mountain, there's chaos reigning. But um, and again, it, Mark Mark gives you a slimmed down account of the transfiguration, which which is what he does. He's a shorter gospel. He's got less time. You know, he he's in a hurry. Right. But there's other versions of the transfiguration where we can learn more information. Um, and in Luke's, I think it's in Luke's. I think Luke is the most explicit. Matthew is pretty good too. But when it, when Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus, and they see, well, let let, let me let me reframe that. What is ultimately, I mean, from a Christian point of view, what is the purpose of God leading Abraham and Isaac up on the mountain? I mean, what's the whole point of that? Prefiguring, um, prefiguring um, the the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. Yeah, it's all it's pointing us toward that, right? Ultimately, that's what yeah. it's doing, which is great. But the transfiguration, again, we've, we've got a very sim- – we've got an interesting – it's not a similar scene, but there's some parallels here, right? So they go up on this mountain. There's this moment of glory. They're like, oh, we see it. We get it. You know, Abraham and Isaac, I'm sure, were like, oh, we get it now. Thank you, Lord. You know, there's they say, thank you, Lord. It's good we are here. Let's build some booths. It's probably the Feast of Tabernacles, which they want to spend up there. That They want to build tabernacles. Um, but – and Mark doesn't tell you this. But do you remember, according to the Gospel of Luke, what Jesus and Elijah and Moses were discussing? His exodus. Which, finish that sentence, though. Luke Luke continues that sentence on. They're discussing his exodus, which he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. So what's his exodus? I mean, what's exodus? Well, it's a movement from slavery to freedom. It's a movement from being landless to having a promised land. It's going from the highway to an off-ramp. <laughs> highway to an off-ramp, <laughs> right? And Moses is conveniently there. He's like, oh, I know something about that. Um, but I mean, it's the passion. that What they're speaking about, what is his exodus, the, the movement from slavery to freedom? He's going to set us free on the cross outside of Jerusalem. So what is this glorious moment of the transfiguration ultimately pointing us toward? 
Well, they're not just talking about how glorious they are. They're not just talking about how lit up they are, how neat this is. They are discussing Moses and Jesus and, Eli- and, and, and Elijah. They're discussing the passion. The purpose of the transfiguration is to point ahead to the crucifixion and the passion. Mm. What's the purpose of Moses, uh, God leading Abraham with Isaac up on Moriah? It's to point ahead toward the crucifixion. It's not about those moments in and of themselves. It's to point ahead. And that's precisely what the apostles don't get. And maybe that's why God allows them to go down into chaos. Because you're like, did you not hear what we were talking about up there? Mm. Like, we're not just talking about, look at how great I am. Look at how neat everything is. Hey, there's lights. No, we're talking about something pretty intense that's about to take place. And maybe because you don't feel the weight of that yet, I'm going to let you in on some of the chaos that's reigning that should give you an insight into what it is exactly I have to defeat. And I want you to feel, part of what Mark is doing There's so many demons and things like that in the Gospel of Mark because Mark wants us to feel the weight of what Jesus actually had to defeat. You should feel the weight of the pain of the story of Abraham and Isaac. You should feel the weight of the pain of all these demoniacs and everything that are running around in Mark. And you should feel it because it's hard to see the value in the cure to something that you don't know is a disease. So you got to kind of feel the weight of this to understand really what Jesus is setting us free from. Dude, I've been watching movies recently. <laughs> is that new for you? No. And um, But I've noticed that almost every movie has as this pivotal moment somebody's death. Mm. And the weight of death. Now, physical death is one thing, but the weight of spiritual death um, is something that we actually are not grasping culturally anymore. Okay. And, that's and, true. and that's, that's exactly where we look and in a certain sense that the death itself, mm. the f- physical death is, is commensurate with the, the gravity of spiritual death. And that's why, uh, if not, if, if more much so. more, yeah. and you know what I'm saying? Like, but, but it, I mean, but, look at Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When they eat the fruit, they don't die physically on the spot, but they die spiritually. Right. And so that's, that's where death enters into the world yeah. so that we can have an image that points towards yeah. spiritual death so that we mm. can say, this is what the level of gravity that mm. we're talking about is mm. versus in the same way that we're, we're seeing the um, power of the crucifixion and why it's so horrible and why the, the sacrifice of Isaac is so frightening. Yeah. Um, but yet, yet the sal- but why salvation is so powerful and why the enemy that's defeated being death is so palpable and powerful and yeah. boom. Boom. Ooh, it's a heavy one today. I mean, is there, is there some know. sort of problem with the gravitational field in the future? <laughs> that's heavy. Heavy talk. <laughs> What'd you do? Jump ship? <laughs> hey, give me a tab. I can't give you a tab unless you order something. For the five of you that are in on the joke, then <laughs> we're all having a great time together. Hey, all right, guys. We'll be back next week. Have a uh, a blessed second Sunday of Lent. Whoop. Hope your disciplines are going well. Disciple doing so so. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, just like that. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.